21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. What inspired you to become involved in sustainability? Sure, that's an easy one for me. I was lucky enough to live in the Bahamas when I was a sophomore of high school. I was 16 years old and I lived at a school where the only power came from solar and wind and the rain, the water came from the rain. Um, and it was really just this beautiful way of living in a, in a, in a manner that wasn't going to hurt the environment. And I think when a lot of people hear about climate change for the first time, they see droughts and wildfires and a lot of really scary things and it's overwhelming. And for me, I sort of had the opposite reaction where, um, you know, I saw the solution before I even understood the problem. Okay, I understood that perfectly. But my second question is, what do you think are the most important issues facing sustainability today? Well, that's a good question because it's so intersectional and you know, even these, I, I, I think sustainability, the definition that I use is living in a way that um, meets your needs but doesn't compromise the needs of future generations, right? And so, you know, um, there are certain things like child labor laws and having only white men as CEOs, you know, those types of things aren't solving climate change directly necessarily, but they're not sustainable. And so I think there are so many, what always come back to me is, is really climate change. I think most of the other issues in terms of water and waste and everything else um, directly feeds into the heating of our planet. And that could be catastrophic and irreversible. And so I personally, um, I focus most of my time on that, but I think you can make a case for any of these different factors. Are people lazy or they have low awareness level? What's the issue? Where's the problem? I think we spent way too much time debating if it was happening or not, which was a waste of everybody's time um, because everybody knew everybody knew that it actually was happening, but it was politicized in some way. So I think that was the first problem. I think now um, people don't want to change. And, and, and at that time, it was also difficult to convince people to take real action because people weren't seeing the effects in real time, right? It was really hard to convince someone to do something when they knew that their great, their grandson probably would, um, would, would see the effects, but not their, even their children. Um, now we're at that moment where we are all seeing this in real time. Anybody who's alive today understands that climate change can see it perfectly. Um, and if they don't, I don't think they're telling the truth, to be quite honest. Um, I think it's just hard for people to change their behavior. Um, and so my approach has been, let's try to help change a little bit of our behavior, but let's put the pressure on governments and companies so that people don't have to change their behavior and they can continue to live in the way that they want to, but it's not as detrimental to the planet. So, you know, one example that I think of is getting coffee every single day. Plenty of people go to Starbucks every single day. That's not sustainable. There are obviously ways to make coffee at home that are super easy. 
instead of putting out a lot of campaigns teaching people how they can make coffee at home, I would rather put that energy into having Starbucks create a reusable coffee cup so that you're not wasting millions of plastic cups every single day, right? That aren't recyclable. So it's little things like that where we can, if we put the pressure on the corporations to make these large scale changes, they'll happen and, and hopefully the consumer will barely even notice them. But on the global level, is it is it expensive to society or? No, not at all. It actually is so much more expensive to deal with the catastrophic effects of climate change um, and the cleanup that you know, that's part of the difficulty, I think, in the way that our governments are structured and in the way that companies are structured is we think of these short term costs, right? We think of how much will it cost today? We don't really care about what's going to happen in a year or two. Um, but that needs to be flipped where the investment today will pay off for literally decades. Um, so when people talk about how many jobs will be lost in the coal industry, that's true. There will be a lot of jobs lost if coal were to be, you know, illegal tomorrow, let's say. Um, but in the long term, there's such a bigger opportunity for investment in renewables and alternative energies that net wise, um, you're creating so many more economic opportunities. Uh, is there any difference uh, between uh, the US and Canada, for example, regarding the sustainability? Or what's, what's, the, what's the best country in the world regarding the laws and... You're in it. I would say the EU is eons ahead of anybody else. Um, the United States likes to pretend that we're just like a little bit behind the EU. We're, we're a lot farther behind than we should be. Um, but I think as a start, the EU has such a stronger government that in terms of sustainability, um, that they do a lot of the heavy lifting before the consumers even have to make different decisions. So one example is um, they just... I don't know the exact law, I might get it a little bit wrong, but they just made it illegal to make green claims that weren't third party verified, right? So you're not allowed to say in, in the EU anymore, something is biodegradable or compostable or something if it hasn't been sort of stamped by some sort of other entity. Um, so now what's fantastic is when the consumer goes shopping, they know that everything that they're reading is legitimate and real and they don't have to sort of look at it with a magnifying glass. In the US, we're still having to decipher between all of these different greenwashing terms. Um, I think another example is the EU has banned a lot of chemicals that have shown to be toxic um, at, at certain levels. The United States, you know, are not, we're actually not as bad as a lot of people think. Um, we're not gonna let products go to market that are going to kill people, but um, we have a long way to go. So it's it's been on the onus of these individual companies to say like, you know, we're paraben free or we don't have A, B, and C chemicals. And that's just another layer of really tough for consumers. In that context, uh... Uh, what inspired you to develop Finch and what needs uh, does it uh, fill in the sustainability landscape? So in 2016, actually speaking of the government, this was, I think, a big part of it. You know, Donald Trump became president and he it was it became clear immediately that he was not 
having our best interests in mind from a, from an environmental standpoint, right? He was going to roll back a lot of clean water, clean air, clean anything regulations. And I think for so long, we as a community were so focused on like the government had our best interests in mind. Even before Obama, it was kind of like, you know, Nixon started the EPA, This we're going to be fine. And I think it was a big aha moment for a lot of Americans to finally be like, I need to really take this on myself because I don't want the planet to blow up. And so at that time, I was working at Unilever and a lot of my friends and family started coming to me with these questions on how do I do this myself? How do I um, live a more sustainable life? How do I buy a sunscreen that's not going to give me cancer? All of these questions. I didn't have a lot of the answers and I didn't know where to direct them because online you found these like wonky academic science-y papers which were based in, in real data but really not that fun for the average person to read. Um, and then on the other side, we have this rise of bloggers or, you know, anybody can write an article online and post it online and they would say things like, you know, this, this product is eco-friendly or all natural and that wasn't based in any type of science. And so I found this gap of where are people supposed to go for this real data source that's fun and accessible to, to understand. So that was sort of the beginning of Finch and it's evolved into this platform that rates products. And so we take over 200,000 data sources um, and use machine learning to ingest um, a bunch of attributes. And then for each product, uh, we'll give a score based uh, out of from one to 10. Okay. Let's let's go into that direction. What are your favorite tips and tricks for living a sustainable lifestyle? And then we will go back to to your organization and to the, to the project per se. There are so many different directions. I think the first is, um, and this actually doesn't really touch the Finch ecosystem right now because we're not doing food. But I would say um, abstaining from meat at least once a week as a start. Um, the meat industry is really problematic for um, for the environment. If you're talking about conventional uh, meat, obviously there's amazing work being done in regenerative agriculture, alternative meats, et cetera, but generally um, that can make a big difference if you abstain, you know, even if you're a vegan once a week or just a vegetarian, that can make a big difference. The other thing that's just general is think about what you use on a daily basis that lasts more than 30 minutes right mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. when you get a cup of coffee in the morning you're throwing that away after you finish drinking it do you buy a bottled water it's the single use not only plastic but just single use objects um that can be actually reused um so we i you know it's really easy for me to replace my disposable water bottles with a reusable one i have an aluminum reusable one that i love um, I have silicone Ziploc, not Ziploc because I think that's the brand, but silicone baggies for leftovers that I just put in the dishwasher and clean after every single use. Um, and so there are little tricks like that, particularly kitchen related or bathroom related that, um, that save a significant amount of waste. Um, and then a third, I would say I like to work in threes. I think a third is just your, your energy use, you know, making sure that you can walk and bike or take public transportation wherever you can. Minimize the amount of times you're in the car. 
getting gas. There's so much you can do in your own home, whether you live in a rented apartment or you have your own house, um, in terms of insulation and, and buying partly renewable energy, et cetera. The way that Finch makes money is we sell data. And so we have this extension that's free for users, but if other companies and retailers want to take advantage of our rating system, we would sell that to them. And the value of that is, you know, when you go on you know, A, B, and C retailers, they're going to have a different definition of what sustainability means. And we're excited to sort of democratize that type of data and normalize it in a way that's accessible to everybody. Um, this came up, I think initially we were thinking that the first way we would, we would um, monetize is to gather behavioral insights and sell them to brands. Um, that's still part of our model. We're just not there yet. And what's interesting is we've had incoming interest. We don't have a sales, I'm the salesperson on this team. We've had incoming interest from people saying like, how do we you, utilize you guys to help us be more sustainable, which has been fantastic. So that's an example of, you can plan all you want when you're in the early days of your company, but um, you kind of have to let the market determine in many ways what the world needs and how you're going to make this a viable business. So we've had to pivot um, in some of those ways. Our team is five full-time employees, and then we have between six and 10 part-time people who are crucial, and I wish they were full-time, but you know, it's everything from growth marketing to graphic design to branding and messaging. And then our full time includes a bit of data and tech and science and then sort of operations. Um, I started just myself. I, I self-funded this in the very beginning. Um, I didn't have any employees. I would pay people in equity to come help me and maybe a tiny bit of money. Um, I'm, I feel strongly, you know, there are, this isn't the first company that I've ever run myself. So I have an example of one to go off of, but I feel strongly for me that the best way to do it was to raise money um, as quickly as possible. But, you know, it's a sweet spot of you want to wait and raise money when you have something to show, but you also don't want to bootstrap very much. Um, I, I think my dad gives this advice, which is if you don't have time to do it the right way now, when are you going to have time to do it over again? And I've been really using that as my starting point from Finch, which is like, could I write up a legal contract and do my own accounting and all those things? Sure. But A, is that the type of thing I want to spend my time on? And B, um, wouldn't it be easier to just like get professionals in now and do that? And that's a very privileged position to be in because we, we have the, the resources to do so. But that's just, that's worked really, really well for me. And so we raised a little, we raised some money early on um, and then we're basically trying to prove out you know the extension and the the user growth um, and then we will raise another round of funding in September which we're excited about um, we're fully I started this company in COVID um, in March of 2020 so we're, we're as old as COVID is 
And so we had no choice but to start remotely, uh, which was fantastic because I had a talent pool of, I, I limited it to the United States, but was able to hire a lot of really fantastic people across the country. Um, and we work remotely pretty well. We have a rule where we try to meet up as a full-time team every quarter. So every, um, it's generally between like three and four months, uh, we'll meet up in person and do a mix of just working in person, but also enjoying time together and just having a good time. Um, you know, we're getting into this interesting time where COVID is hopefully getting in our hindsight and, I, I have to do some thinking around if we want to switch to some sort of in-person model where it's flexible. Um, but the problem is I've, I've hired too many good people that are in too many places to start over again. So that's an, an ongoing process. What about the, the extension per se? So how does it work? So the extension works on your browser. So if you have Chrome, for example, you would go to the Chrome store, you type in Finch, and you download it. And then the value is every time, it only works on Amazon right now, but we're quickly, hopefully improving that. Every time you go on Amazon, you type in a product and Finch will pop out and it will show you, okay, this product that you're looking at gets a six out of 10. Here are three alternatives in case you're interested in making a better purchasing decision. Um, and so that allows you to you know, the value of an extension versus an app is it's already right there. You don't have to remember to go to it every time you're shopping. It just pops up. And so it's a little bit stickier for users to use. Um, and then, you know, when you purchase something, we're, we're getting to know you as an individual better. So we'll be able to start recommending products you might like and, um, and things like that. Your company, so Finch in five years, Finch in five years is going to be the third party verified source of what makes a consumer good sustainable. Um, and so we will incorporate all the certifications, all of the aspects, and instead of going to one place for the packaging and one place for ecotoxicity, Finch will be that one-stop shop and it will be um, both consumer facing and B2B. So it will be where consumers go whenever they Google what type of sustainable body wash should I be buying, but it will also be incorporated into the back end of all the retail e-com and retailers who want to be able to show their consumers what's sustainable and what's not. I think the, the sweet spot of Finch is that we are never claiming to be as detailed as, you know, a life cycle analysis that take nine months and is $300,000. We're never going to be on the manufacturing floor of each individual product, right? We need a scalable solution, but it's, we have enough data to be accurate enough to the point that sort of feeds the consumer's need for transparency. To find out more about Finch and to understand the impact of the products that you're buying, go to choosefinch.com, download our extension on Chrome, and email me at hey at choosefinch.com. I have I love working with users and communicating with them. So let us know what you think of the product, if you have any questions, and please share feedback. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.